0: Listening to Living with ADHD and CPTSD, available on Apple and wherever you get your podcasts. everybody and welcome to another episode of living with ADHD and CPTSD in today's episode is CPTSD and we are going to talk about the different kinds of therapy that is available and what each of them entails when it comes to what happens when you actually are doing the therapy so what I'm going to talk about specifically is EMDR therapy trauma recovery model trauma-informed care, definition exposure therapy, and then cognitive behavioral therapy. And then we're gonna talk about a bit about the dissociation, structural dissociation theory, which is a different type of therapy as well. So there's gonna be a lot of information here that is gonna be very helpful for you. Um, I will also talk about at the end of the episode, the kind of therapy that I've been going through and some of my experiences with it so let's get started okay all right so the first one that we're going to talk about is EMDR EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy it is extensively researched effective physiopsychotherapy method proven to help people recover from trauma and other distressing life experiences including PTSD CPTSD anxiety depression and panic disorders All right. The American Psychiatric Association, the American Psychological Association, the International Society for Traumatic Stress Studies, National Alliance on Mental Illness, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, the UK National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, the U.S. Department of Veterans and Affairs Department of Defense, The Cochrane Database of Systematic Reviews, and the World Health Organizations, among many other national and international organizations, recognize EMDR therapy as an effective treatment. More specific information on treatment guidelines can be found on their EMDR and PTSD pages. How is EMDR therapy different from other therapies? EMDR therapy does not require talking in detail about the distressing issue or completing homework between sessions. EMDR therapy, rather than focusing on changing the emotions, thoughts, or behaviors resulting from the distressing issue, allows the brain to resume its natural healing process. EMDR therapy is designed to resolve unprocessed traumatic memories in the brain for many clients. Sorry, for many clients, EMDR therapy can be completed in fewer sessions than other psychotherapies. How does EMDR therapy affect the brain? Our brains have a natural way to recover from traumatic memories and events. This process involves communication between the amygdala, the alarm signal for stressful events, the hippocampus which assists with learning including memories about safety and danger, the prefrontal cortex which analyzes and controls behavior and emotion. While many times traumatic experiences can be managed and resolved spontaneously, they may not be processed without help. Stress responses are part of our natural fight, flight, or freeze instincts. When distress from a disturbing event remains the upsetting images thoughts and emotions may create an overwhelming feeling of being back in that moment or of being frozen in time emdr therapy helps the brain process these memories and allows normal healing to resume the experience is still remembered but the fight flight or freeze response from the original event is resolved who can benefit from emdr therapy EMDR therapy helps children and adults of all ages. Therapists use EMDR therapy to assist or to address a wide range of challenges. Here are your, here are the examples of challenges that can be addressed. Anxiety, panic attacks and phobias, chronic illness and medical issues, depression and bipolar disorders, dissociative disorders, eating disorders, grief and loss, pain, performance anxiety, personality disorders, PTSD and other trauma and stress-related issues like CPTSD, sexual assault, sleep disturbance, substance abuse and addiction, violence and abuse. Can EMDR therapy be done without a trained EMDR therapist? Well, EMDR therapy is a mental health intervention. As such, it should only be offered by properly trained and licensed mental health clinicians. EMDRIA does not condone or support indiscriminate use, uh, uses of EMDR therapy, such as do-it-yourself virtual therapy. So how did it start? In the late 1980s, Francine Shapiro discovered a connection between eye movement and persistent upsetting memories. With this personal insight, she began what f- became a lifelong study and development of eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Over the years, and in the face of initial skepticism, her work developed from a hypothesis to a formal therapy process. EMDR therapy has been demonstrated to be effective for treating trauma in randomized clinical trials and case studies and millions of clinical hours treating trauma and trauma-related disorders among, across the globe. From the American Psychiatric Association, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and Department of Defense, the United Kingdom's National Institute for Healthcare and Excellence, and the World Health Organization, multiple global organizations now recognize the effectiveness of EMDR therapy that Dr. Shapiro developed. Most recently, the public acceptance of EMDR therapy was illustrated when Prince Harry reported that he engaged in EMDR therapy to treat trauma from his childhood. Sandra Bullock also opened up about using EMDR therapy to treat trauma from an at-home break-in. Dr. Shapiro encouraged the foundation of EMDRIA, which compromises more than 11,000 medical health professionals who use EMDR therapy in their clinical practice, to treat many conditions that impact mental health. Shapiro died in 2019, but her legacy of trauma-informed mental health care lives on in, therapy, in EMDR therapists, researchers, and patients for whom EMDR therapy heals. Experiencing EMDR therapy. After the therapist and client agree that EMDR therapy is a good fit, the client will work through the eight phases of EMDR therapy with the therapist. Attention will be given to a negative image, belief, emotion, and body sensation related to this event and then to a positive belief that would indicate the issue was resolved. A typical EMDR therapy session lasts from 60 to 90 minutes. EMDR therapy may be used within a standard talking therapy as an adjunctive therapy with a separate therapist or as a treatment all by itself. EMDR Therapy is a recognized effective treatment for PTSD. Anyone can experience intense trauma. EMDR therapy is widely considered one of the best treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder, and it has been endorsed as an effective therapy by many organizations. So that's EMDR. Very common, a widely used form of therapy for people who suffer from all sorts of traumatic events And definitely CPTSD and PTSD. All right. Next is the trauma recovery model. I am going to put this in the list uh, for some for people to look at, in case they're curious, because there is like a an actual pyramid shape of information. So I will add that in to the my channel uh, on the on the podcast and also in the video underneath in the, in the description. Okay, so introduction. The TRM was developed by Dr. Trisha Skews and Johnny Matthew and built on their work with young people serving sentences at Hillside Secure Children's Home or, were subject, or who were subject to secure accommodation dis- orders. It draws on Theories about child development and attachment, neurological impairment, and the impact of maltreatment and behavioral conditions. The mental health of young people in the youth justice system and interventions, effective practice, and treatment attrition. There is a core of young people with high rates of reoffending and that these young people often have complex needs. For example, previous or current contact with social services and or mental health services and special educational need. It recommends that steps are taken to ensure that Youth Justice Services are able to meet the needs of this group of young people. 48% had witnessed family violence, 55% had been abused or neglected, 62% had difficulty coming to terms with trauma, 79% had social services involvement, and 81% were without qualifications, and then 95% had substance misuse issues. The specific needs of this cohort of young people are further supported by other statistics and research. For instance, an examination of mental health services in the youth justice system in England indicated that young people often have emotional and low-level mental health issues, which stem from early trauma and adversity. This adds to the complexity of their immediate needs. These issues fall outside the threshold for specialist, child, and adolescent mental health services because these young people do not have a diagnosable disorder. Trauma recovery model. Level one, the first foundation level is based on the idea of redeemability. Young people can be supported to have better lives and better outcomes. Level two, the second level of the model follows Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which posits that healthy psychological growth can only occur where basic psychological and safety needs have been met. As a result, the second level of the model is the need for support to focus on helping to establish structure and routine in everyday life. For example, safe accommodation, regular meals, regular bedtimes, personal hygiene, educational routine, consistent boundaries and expectations of behavior. Level 3 Once these basic needs are starting to be met, the TRM states that young people are more likely to be ready for and open to developing trusting relationships with appropriate adults. As a result, the third level of TRM focuses on staff working with young people to build constructive relationships. Level 4 The fourth level of the TRM proposes that once strong working relationships are developed, then young people are able to start to start to engage with and disclose current or historical trauma. Over time, sometimes a very protracted period, this yields opportunities to talk in more depth, to discuss pertinent issues that arise and to revisit difficult life experiences. It is not until young people have successfully negotiated the first two layers of the model that they feel safe enough, perhaps for the first time, to begin to think about and articulate what has happened to them in the past. The sorts of disclosures that typically emerge include complex bereavement, abuse, neglect, maltreatment, exploitation, incest, and domestic violence. This enables staff to work sensitively and or to refer to specialist therapeutic interventions where necessary to help the young person work through traumatic experiences and losses. Level 5 Skewis and Matthew argue that until young people have completed the first four stages of the TRM, they are not able to fully understand their current situation, their behavior, or to address the impact or implications of their offenses. As a result, it is only at stage five that staff can work can start working with young people on topics such as consequential thinking skills, empathy, and restorative approaches. Level six, by the penultimate layer of the TRM, young people have developed an increased sense of self-belief and a greater acceptance of their abilities and potential. Nevertheless, they argue that young people still require a significant amount of support in the form of guided goal-setting, support into education, and a scaffolded approach to structuring free time and community living in order to maximize the chances of sustained success. Level 7, the final phase of TRM recognizes that over time, these young people can achieve self determining termination and live healthy, independent lives in the community with low or no levels of additional support. Okay, so there's that one. Now the next one I will go over is trauma, trauma-informed care. Understanding and caring for patients affected by toxic stress. Trauma-informed care recognizes and responds to the signs, symptoms, and risks of trauma to better support the health needs of patients who have experienced adverse childhood experiences and toxic stress. The trauma-informed care is a framework that involves understanding the prevalence of trauma and adversity and their impacts on health and behavior, recognizing the effects of trauma and adversity on health and behavior, training, leadership, providers and staff on responding to patients with best practices in trauma informed care, integrating knowledge about trauma and adversity into policies, procedures, practices and treatment planning, and avoiding re-traumatization by approaching patients who have experienced ACEs and other adversities with non-judgmental support. Principles The following key principles of trauma informed care should be served should serve as a guide for all healthcare clinicians and staff. Establish the physical and emotional safety of patients and staff. Build trust between providers and patients. Recognize the signs and symptoms of trauma exposure on physical and mental health. Promote patient-centered, evidence-based care. Ensure provider and patient collaboration by bringing patients into the treatment process and discussing mutually agreed upon goals for treatment. Provide care that is sensitive to the patient's racial, ethnic, and cultural background and gender identity. Anticipating emotional responses and avoiding re-traumatization. ACE screening can induce a spectrum of emotional reactions in patients. Screening requires patients to reflect on and revisit upsetting parts of their lives, which may activate distressing feelings or thoughts for patients and for providers conducting the screenings. Some people who have experienced ACEs or other adversities may feel shame, blame, anger, sadness, and or embarrassment. However, some patients find the experience empowering and report a positive emotional response to being able to make important connections between ACEs, toxic stress, and their current health, and to receiving appropriate relief-focused care. Patients with higher ACE scores with an identified screen were more likely to have strong emotional reactions, both positive and negative, according to pilot data. De-identified ACE screening was much less likely to elicit a strong emotional reaction for patients, either positive or negative. Therefore, it is important for providers to administer screenings in a trauma-informed manner that avoids re-traumatization. There are several ways providers can avoid re-traumatization. Maintain emotional safety by approaching patients who have experienced ACEs and other adversities with non-judgmental support. Assess for, for, recognize, and integrate patient strengths and experiences into a jointly formulated treatment plan. In the primary care context, providers can provide supportive, compassionate responses to trauma histories of ACEs or other adversities without eliciting specific details. Empower patients by providing education on simple things they can do every day at home to recognize how stress shows up in their bodies and to help regulate their stress response system and buffer the negative impacts of toxic stress. Find these strategies to regulate the stress response. Refer patients to mental health providers who are trained in evidence based trauma specific therapy if necessary. Practice compassionate resilience to maintain provider well being while caring for patients to be able to combat compassion fatigue burnout, secondary traumatic stress, vis- vicarious trauma and related concerns. All right, so there's that's trauma informed care. Okay, I am going to take a break and when I come back, I will continue on starting with exposure therapy. All right, everybody. Enjoy your break. cptsd today's episode is talking about different types of therapy that is available and what it's about all right let's continue going on what is exposure therapy exposure therapy is a form of behavioral therapy it is designed to help someone overcome fear or anxiety associated with a specific activity or situation exposure therapy breaks the cycle of avoidance that many people find themselves in The article will explain what exposure therapy involves as well as the type of disorders that it treats. The definition, exposure therapy involves being exposed to the object or situation that triggers fear or anxiety. This is done repetitively, usually gradually and over a period of time until the distress caused by the object or situation has decreased significantly. The aim of exposure therapy is to reduce fear and decrease avoidance. This happens through learning that fear, anxiety, and avoidance do not help in reducing anxiety, as well as through recognizing that the outcomes that were feared are inaccurate. Exposure therapy involves different kinds of exposures. Real life or in vivo exposure This involves being exposed to a feared object situation or activity in real life. For example, someone with a phobia of heights might be exposed to a situation such as standing on a bridge or going to the top of a high-rise building. Imagined or imaginal exposure. This is vividly imagining the feared object situation or activity. For example, a patient being treated for post-traumatic stress disorder May be asked to visualize the events that caused their trauma in their imagination. Virtual reality, VR, or in-virtuo exposure. Virtual reality technology might be used when in vivo exposure is not practical. In vivo exposure was historically viewed as better than VR but a 2019 review of randomized controlled trials found no evidence that VR exposure was significantly less effective than in-vivo exposure and phobia treatment. Introceptive exposure. This involves bringing on physical sensations that are harmless yet feared. For example... Exposure therapy for panic disorder involves provoking sensations associated with panic attacks such as hyperventilating or increasing the heart rate by running. It aims to disconfirm the idea that physical sensations will lead to harmful events such as a heart attack or embarrassing oneself in public. And the conditions that it treats. Exposure therapy can be used to treat the following conditions. Specific phobia. This is the intense fear of or anxiety about specific types of objects or situations, such as flying or spiders. Exposure therapy is the main treatment for specific phobia. Generalized anxiety disorder. GAD is a common mental health condition characterized by excessive chronic worry that interferes with a person's ability to function normally. Imagining exposure, such as imagining the worst case scenario associated with their worries, is more common in their treatment of GAD than real-life exposure. Social Anxiety Disorder SAD is also known as social phobia. It is a type of anxiety disorder where people fear and avoid the judgment of others. Exposure therapy for SAD commonly involves real-life exposure, for example, by participating in social situations that would normally be avoided. Panic disorder. This is characterized by unexpected and recurrent episodes of intense fear accompanied by physical symptoms, often with no warning or obvious trigger. Post-traumatic stress disorder. And you can include CPTSD in this. CPTSD and PTSD is a mental health condition where you struggle to recover long after you experience or witness a deeply terrifying event, or of course in CPTSD, repeated exposure to events. It is often treated with prolonged exposure therapy which incorporates both imagined and real life exposures. An obsessive compulsive disorder. OCD is considered a chronic long-term mental health condition. It is characterized by obsessive distressful thoughts and compulsive ritualistic behaviors. A specialized form of exposure therapy, known as Exposure and Response Prevention Therapy, ERP or EXRP, can help treat OCD. Process. Exposure therapies for each disorder tend to take on similar forms, though the type of exposure will differ depending on the source of the anxiety or fear. In your session, your therapist may help you create an exposure-fear hierarchy. This involves you ranking exposures from those that cause you the least anxiety to those that cause a, level, a high level of anxiety or fear. Therapy can, can then be carried out in different ways. These include graded exposure, this is where you will progress through different levels of exposures, starting with those mildly difficult to those that are harder. Flooding, this is where exposure will start with the most difficult tasks. And systematic desensitization, In this case, exposure is combined with relaxation exercises to help make the exposure feel more manageable. Types. Depending on the condition that is treated, different types of exposure therapy may form part of the treatment plan. Prolonged exposure therapy. Prolonged exposure therapy is used to treat PTSD and CPTSD In this type of exposure therapy the patient is asked to repeatedly revisit the memory of what caused their trauma by visualizing the events in their imagination they will also be asked to describe these events out loud in the session their narrative of the events will be recorded and played back to them with the aim of helping them process the traumatic memory the patients are also asked to use real life exposure exercises as homework typically involving gradual exposure to safe activities, objects, or places that were previously avoided. Exposure and Response Prevention Therapy. Exposure and Response Prevention Therapy aims to help individuals with OCD face uncomfortable situations and reduce compulsions, which they might engage in to relieve anxiety. Refraining from engagement, engaging in compulsive behaviors is an important aspect of this treatment It involves both real life and imagined exposures. Outcomes. Randomized controlled trials have found positive treatment outcomes for exposure based therapies for OCD, PTSD, anxiety disorders, specific phobias, panic disorder, and social anxiety disorder. A 2016 study found that people who received exposure therapy to treat specific phobias had fewer symptoms, not only immediately after treatment, but eight years later as well, suggesting that exposure therapy has long-term benefits. It has also been known to be effective in reducing symptoms and other issues that those with PTSD might experience, such as anger, guilt, negative health perceptions, and depression. But there are warnings and drawbacks. While it has been shown to be an effective treatment, exposure therapy can be challenging. It requires the patient to be open to being put into a very stressful situation, and it may take some time for results to be seen. It has been estimated that between 13 and 27% of patients will stop attending exposure therapy. Ending treatment prematurely makes it more likely that symptoms will return over time. The conditions in exposure therapy also do not always reflect reality someone with ptsd for instance may be able to handle going through the memory of the events that led to their trauma in their therapy session but may not be able to cope with the situation if it presents itself in reality despite these limitations and challenges exposure therapy is worth considering as a treatment option for the conditions highlighted above as research supports its effectiveness In fact, one of the challenges facing exposure therapy is that it is not available enough. Many therapists do not have formal training in exposure therapy and therefore cannot practice it. Summary Exposure therapy is a type of behavioral therapy used to treat anxiety disorders, phobias, OCD, PTSD, CPTSD, and panic disorder. The person is repeatedly exposed to stimuli that usually provoke their anxiety or fear in order to lessen it over time. The exposure may be done in real life by imagining it or via virtual reality. All right, so that's exposure therapy. Okay, now here's one that is very well known to a lot of people, cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT is a type of psychotherapeutic treatment that helps people learn how to identify and change destructive or disturbing thought patterns that have a negative influence on behavior and emotions. Cognitive behavioral therapy focuses on changing the automatic negative thoughts that contri- contribute to and worsen emotional difficulties, depression, and anxiety. These spontaneous negative thoughts have a detrimental influence on mood. Through CBT, these thoughts are identified, challenged, and replaced with more objective, realistic thoughts. Types of Cognitive Behavioral Therapy CBT encompasses a range of techniques and approaches that address thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. These can range from structured psychotherapies to self-help materials. There are a number of specific types of therapeutic approaches that involve CBT, including... Cognitive therapy centers on identifying and changing inaccurate or distorted thinking patterns, emotional responses, and behaviors. Dialectical behavior therapy, or DBT, addresses thoughts and behaviors while incorporating strategies such as emotional regulation and mindfulness. Multimodal therapy suggests that psychological issues must be treated by addressing seven different but interconnected modalities behavior, behavior effect, sensation, imagery, cognition, interpersonal factors, and drug biological considerations. And rational emotive behavioral behavior therapy involves identifying irrational beliefs, actively challenging these beliefs, and finally learning to recognize and change these thought patterns. While each type of cognitive behavioral therapy takes a different approach, all work to address the underlying thought patterns that contribute to psychological distress cbt techniques cbt is more than is about more than identifying thought patterns it is focused on using a wide range of strategies to help people overcome these thoughts techniques may include journaling role-playing relaxation techniques and mental distractions identifying negative thoughts It is important to learn how thoughts, feelings, and situations can contribute to maladaptive behaviors. The process can be difficult, especially for people who struggle with introspection, but it can ultimately lead to self-discovery and insights that are an essential part of the treatment process. Practicing new skills. It is important to start practicing new skills that can then be put into use in real-world situations. For example. A person with a substance abuse disorder might start practicing new coping skills and rehearsing ways to avoid or deal with social situations that could potentially trigger a relapse. Goal setting. Goal setting can, an important, can be an important step in recovery from mental illness and helping you make changes to improve your health and life. During CBT, a therapist can help with goal setting skills By teaching you how to identify your goal, distinguish between short and long-term goals, set specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-based goals, which is S-M-A-R-T, obviously, and focus on the process as much as the end outcome. Problem Solving Learning problem-solving skills can help you identify and solve problems that arise from life stressors, both big and small, and reduce the negative impact of psychological and physical illness. Problem solving in CBT often involves five steps. One, identifying a problem, generating a list of possible solutions, evaluating the strengths and weaknesses of each possible solution, choosing a solution to implement and implementing the solution. And self-monitoring, also known as diary work, self-monitoring is an important part of CBT that involves tracking behaviors, symptoms, or experiences over time, and sharing them with your therapist. Self-monitoring can help provide your therapist with the information needed to provide the best treatment. For example, for people coping with eating disorders, self-monitoring may involve keeping track of eating habits as well as any thoughts or feelings that went along with consuming that meal or snack. What CBT can help with? cognitive behavioral therapy can be used as a short-term treatment to help individuals learn to focus on present thoughts and beliefs cbt is used to treat a wide range of conditions including addiction anger issues anxiety bipolar disorder depression eating disorders panic attacks personality disorders and phobias in addition to mental health conditions cbt has been found to help people cope with the following chronic pain or serious illnesses, divorce or breakups, grief or loss, insomnia, low self-esteem, relationship problems, and stress management. The benefits of cognitive behavioral therapy. The underlying concept behind CBT is that thoughts and feelings play a fundamental role in behavior. For example, a person who spends a lot of time thinking about plane crashes, runway accidents, and other air disasters may avoid air travel as a result. The goal of cognitive behavioral therapy is to teach people that while they cannot control every aspect of the world around them, they can, control, can take control of how they interpret and deal with things in their environment. CBT is often known for the following key benefits. It allows you to engage in healthier thinking patterns by becoming aware of the negative and often unrealistic thoughts that dampen your feelings and moods. It is an effective short-term treatment option. For example, improvements can be seen in five to 20 sessions. It has been found effective for a wide variety of maladaptive behaviors. It is often more affordable than some other types of therapy. It has been found to to be effective online as well as face-to-face. And it can be used for those who don't require psychotropic medication. Effectiveness of CBT. CBT emerged during the 1960s and originated in the work of psychiatrist Aaron Beck, who noted that certain types of thinking contributed to emotional problems. Beck labeled these automatic negative thoughts and labeled the process of of cognitive therapy. Where earlier behavior, behavior therapies had focused almost exclusively on associations, reinforcements, and punishments to modify behavior, The cognitive approach addresses how thoughts and feelings affect behaviors. Today, cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the most well-studied forms of treatment and has been shown to be effective in the treatment of a range of mental conditions, including anxiety, depression, eating disorders, insomnia, obsessive-compulsive disorder, panic disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as CPTSD, of course, and substance abuse disorder. CBT is leading is the leading evidence-based treatment for eating disorders. It has been proven helpful in those with insomnia as well as those who have general medical conditions that interferes with sleep, including those afflicted with pain or mood disorders such as depression. Cognitive behavioral therapy has been scientifically proven to be effective in treatment in treating symptoms of depression and anxiety in children and adolescents. In 2018, meta, meta-analysis of 41 studies found that CBT helped to improve symptoms in people with anxiety and anxiety-related disorders, including OCD and post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, well, CBTSD as well. CBT has high as a high level of empirical support for the treatment of substance abuse disorders, helping improve self-control, avoid triggers, and develop coping mechanisms for daily stressors things to consider, and the challenges of CBT. There are several challenges that people may run into during the course of cognitive behavioral therapy. Change can be difficult. Initially, some patients suggest that while they recognize that certain thoughts are not rational or healthy, simply becoming aware of these thoughts does not make it easy to alter them. CBT is very structured. Cognitive behavioral therapy doesn't tend to focus on Underlying unconscious resistances to change as much as other approaches such as psychoanalytic psychotherapy. It is often best suited for clients who are more comfortable with a structured and focused approach in which the therapist often takes an instructional role. People must be willing to change. For CBT therapy to be effective, the individual must be ready and willing to spend time and effort analyzing their thoughts and feelings. Such self-analysis and homework can be difficult, but it is a great way to learn more about how internal states impact outward behavior. Progress is often gradual. In most cases, CBT is a gradual process that helps a person take incremental steps towards a behavior change. For example, someone with social anxiety might start by simply imagining anxiety, provoking social situations. Next, they might start practicing conversations with friends, family, and acquaintances. By progressively working towards a larger goal, the process seems less daunting and the goal is easier to achieve. How to get started. CBT therapy can be an effective treatment choice for a range of psychological issues. If you feel that you or someone you might love benefit from this form of therapy, considering the steps, consult a physician, Consider your personal preferences. Contact health insurance to see if they cover it. Expect your initial experience to be similar to a doctor's appointment. And be prepared to answer questions. All right. That was a long one. Okay. The last one that I will discuss is structural dissociation. This is different. And I have talked about this in past episodes on my podcast number of times Um, i will go through it and then discuss it just briefly uh, like a little bit more about it all right trauma affects intense people differently people who are more emotionally sensitive have stronger reactions to adverse events in their lives their receptivity means that they are deeply affected by toxic family dynamics abuse and manipulations Their sensitivity to existential issues and intolerance of injustice mean they are susceptible to depression. Their need for emotional feedback from a young age means they are heavily wounded by emotional neglect. Things that do not affect their siblings or peers hurt them deeply. Unfortunately, few mental health professionals understand emotional sensitivity and chronic childhood trauma people are likely to be overdiagnosed and medicated rather than getting the understanding they truly need. We have previously outlined some of the family dynamics intense and sensitive child children tend to face. And in this article, we discuss the mechanisms of structural dissociation, which is a common reaction to complex trauma that affects many of us for life. Structural dissociation. Chronic childhood trauma is different from PTSD related to a single incident. Under normal circumstances, we would want to avoid our abuser and never go back to them. When we were a child, however, we had to stay. We had few options, and even when our parents hurt us, we could not leave. So instead of physically exiting, we psychologically withdrew. If we knew our parents could not tolerate disobedience or that we would be punished for creating conflicts, it made sense for us to swallow the pain rather than risk confronting them. We dared not be critical of the authority whose goodwill was essential to our survival. This may result in psychodynamic process of turning against oneself, where we redirect anger and resentment to others towards ourselves. Our righteous anger became internalized guilt and shame that were unbearable, so we had to create a separate self in our mind to survive the invasion, hence child parts. Chronically traumatized individuals can suffer from a form of dissociation known as structural dissociation, which is a lack of cohesion and integration of personality. Structural dissociation causes the inability inability to regulate emotions and a chronic feeling of emptiness within. There are also parts of what constitutes borderline personality disorder. Having structural dissociation means we are split into different parts each with a different personality, feelings, and behavior. As a result, we feel completely different from moment to moment. One moment we feel strong and happy, the next moment we feel empty and numb. Then we feel rage. It might all happen suddenly without an apparent trigger. Despite carrying painful memories, people with complex trauma still have to find a way to get on with their normal lives. In order to do that, we develop a normal facade. This is our normal life. This part of us feels little, remembers little, and hardly feels any hunger, desires, or sadness, and is an efficient worker. While on the surface we seem to function fine, the traumatized self may from time to time burst through, causing uncontrollable and apparently unexplainable behaviors. We carry our traumatized self everywhere we go. Our traumatized parts see danger, criticism, and abandonment everywhere and has a hard time receiving love. It is frozen in time, so when we traumatized part takes over, we feel like a child in an adult body. It is always on guard, waiting to be harmed or betrayed. It controls our body and emotions in ways we are not always fun- conscious of. For instance, when we grind our teeth at night or when we burst into an uncontrollable rage. We start avoiding life. In structural dissociation, we live a life designed to avoid our traumatic memories. Our symptoms get worse as more and more sounds, people, and places remind us of the trauma. We become sensitized sensitized to all triggers in the world. For instance, someone not looking into our eyes reminds us of times when our parents dismissed us. Perhaps carotid places remind us of the time we were feeling suffocated and helpless as a child. Or any sudden and loud noise reminds us of the violence at home when we were little. Whew. okay. So, in the therapy, and I have gone through a lot of this, and I do live with someone who also deals with this as well, the major thing is we do a lot of processing. So, the therapy is to do a four-step process, of course, as I've discussed in past episodes, where we first identify, like we listen and feel the parts, the emotions and the feelings and the pain that they're experiencing and that they're having in a moment. And then once we have done that and we, as the adult part, feels the pain and the emotion, then what we do is we begin to identify the part. We find out like where it's from, how old it is. We even give it a name. And then we try to find out why it came to be, how it's protecting us. And then what we do is we try to gain the parts trust. And this can be done, and it usually is done over multiple sessions, multiple processes, and it can be done either daily or multiple times during the day. And then at some point, and usually the case is it doesn't take one or two times for processing, but over multiple processing sessions within ourselves and with a therapist, we will learn or gain the trust of the part. And it'll be to the point where then we can update them properly or efficiently through exposing them and showing them that the adult is in control, that they are no longer in danger, they are no longer facing the fear that they are being neglected, that they are the ones that are looking after themselves, and they are in control, and that they are safe. Because the whole point of the processing and the experience is to believe and to know that we are safe as an adult and as a child part. So the processing eventually will gain our parts trust. And we're gonna obviously more than likely find that we have multiple parts. Um, Some of us have many different parts of different ages and from different experiences and situations. Like myself, I've got quite a few parts that I have been working with for quite a while now. And the whole point of the processing is to basically, yeah, like I said, to gain their trust so that we can update them and then build new neurological pathways and integrate them or reintegrate them into into the brain so that eventually they can be in the same space and time as the adult so that in the future someday, when or if they face a traumatic event that re-triggers them, that they will be able to maintain the adult and be able to update quickly and move on past the event and not feel the child being in control or allowing the trauma to get to the point where as the adult we're not able to function properly or normally in day-to-day life that is the process and that is the point of the therapy and and it's like I said it's done multiple times we can do one part or multiple parts in a day or you can determine what part is being traumatized and re-triggered the most significantly in that time frame and then like i said you can work with those parts uh, multiple times during the day and update them and as i said earlier you know gain their trust so that at some point with trauma and with your processing that you'll be able to react as the adult and move past this traumatic event in an efficient way and in an adult manner where we'll be able to continue our daily life without having it affect us or cause harm or danger to us. Because that's the point, we don't wanna feel as if we are in danger, we wanna feel safe. And we need to feel safe around people that we know, around strangers in difficult situations in everyday life, whether it's in work or with our children, Uh, around our parents or in any other situation that you can think of. That is the point of the therapy is to get us to that point. Okay, so I have done EMDR a few times with my therapist, and it is very effective. I have found that it works a great deal for me, and I have learned quite a bit from the therapy. I have done a lot of processing and updating with my parts. So I have done the structural dissociation theory, processing and therapy, um, both on my own and with my therapist, of course. I haven't done the other forms of therapy. Um, I have done a little bit, but very minimal amount of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, The most effective seems to be the emdr and the processing through structural dissociation i have done a great deal of improvement and processing and updating to the point where i don't feel for the most part uh, child parts coming online but amazingly enough where there have been a discovery that i am dissociating through events or situations where my partner has become angry or frustrated in situations in everyday life, multiple times, sometimes in a day, but usually multiple times to- like once once a day, every day of the week. Um, and learning that I have become dissociated because it is my way of dealing with the traumatic event and the trigger from it. And I need to do more work, of course, because I need to be at the point where instead of dissociating and being distant and shutting down, I need to be able to respond effectively and appropriately in the moment so that the frustration levels lower and the ability or the need for the parts to come back and be re-triggered is less and less likely to occur. So it's nice to know exactly what needs to be done instead of wondering and questioning yourself and being confused by any of this. I would myself, unless you've been through a lot of different therapy, and you've gone to different therapists or you've seen different or, and you've done the different forms of therapy that I have discussed, I have discussed here in this episode, I would definitely recommend talking to your therapist, or if you haven't found one, go and search for one online and you should probably even go and make appointments to see them, whether it's in person or virtually, considering we we still are in a pandemic and see and like discuss it with them see what they're what they do Um, tell them what you think is on your own personal opinions on what you think is best for you and see what they think they may agree with you or they may decide that perhaps cbt therapy is, is more effective maybe emdr is a better way to go for you but either way talk to them and find out what's best for you the importance here is to get help by seeing a therapist and doing therapy. That's the only way you're really going to improve and get healthier so that you can live a more productive and effective life. Because we don't want to be having our trauma and triggers constantly getting in the way of being able to function properly day after day in our life. Especially if we're in a relationship or we have an important job that we need to maintain. You don't want to allow the trauma, especially from CPTSD or whatever forms of trauma you may experience. We don't want to have that really get in the way because a lot of people, if they don't get the the help that is required, can really have a great deal of difficulty living their life and could it could get more way worse and the ability to recovery is a lot harder and takes a lot more work I definitely recommend starting as soon as possible but find the right person do your diligence and see what's out there and find the right person for you Uh, you can't take this lightly you got to do the hard work and you got to do all that is necessary anyway um that's this episode about the different types of therapy that is available um for you and the these are the types of therapies that a lot of the psychotherapists uh psychiatrists and psychologists will refer or recommend for you and Hopefully this was really informative and gives you a lot of insight into the types of therapy that you could get if you are suffering from CPTSD or other forms of abuse or trauma that that has occurred in your life. Okay, everybody, um, check out my Twitter page. Um, my account is at ADHD and CPTSD. My website is www.livingwithadhdandcptsd.ca. Uh, and uh, I have my YouTube site, uh, which also does uh, video podcasts, which is this one, of course, is what I'm doing. And this is also going to be on my regular podcasts, available on Apple and other podcast platforms, of course. Um, you can support me going to Kofi ko-fi.com which is Kofi. fi uh, you can donate either a one-time amount or you can do a monthly membership and you can choose between a basic and a premium membership basically i use software that i need to pay for in order to do my programs and my podcasts and do the videos It isn't free, and to do it properly and do an effective video and podcast, um, audio podcast, I need to have software that is workable, and I do need to pay for it. So if you really appreciate my podcasts and you really like what you hear and you find it very helpful and beneficial, please go and support me. You can follow me on Twitter, you can go to my website and be a member and like that as well, and I definitely would like support by you know donations and tips. Um, it would be really appreciated and extremely helpful, and it will allow me to continue making these programs, and the, the podcasts and the YouTube videos. So please support me. Go to ko.fi.com and donate. Um, I'm not asking for a lot it's not like I'm saying donate $20 um, it's two or three dollar donations and it's monthly or you can do a one-time donation if you really really do like what you're what you're listening to you can do a big donation it, it's always appreciated and I love helping you guys um, that's the importance here okay that's this week's episode um, I hope you really enjoyed it, I hope it was very informative and very helpful. Check out my other podcasts as if, or YouTube videos if this is the first one you are listening to. I do have quite a few podcasts that are online and available to listen to and I have a lot of great uh, reviews both uh, personally and online. People really do appreciate the fact that there is a voice out there for them. So. Yeah, I uh, can't wait to hear from you. I am planning to do some interviews with other people who suffer from ADHD as well as CBTSD. And I'm really looking forward to continuing my work. All right, everybody. That's it. Have a wonderful week and I will talk to you later. Bye-bye.